Welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLarenvale, where we seek to be apprentices of Jesus. We are currently looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which can be found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is announcing the kingdom of heaven with its implications for every aspect of our lives. There is so much for us to learn and to put into practice. Let's get into it with this teaching from our Sunday gathering. Is light. And in him is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Does anybody know what John chapter 8, verse 12 says? Jesus is speaking. And he says, I am the the light of the world. Later on in chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's seven different times that Jesus says, I am in John, and then says something else about what he is. And you're right for chapter 14. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks in me will never walk in darkness. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. So Revelation chapter 21, second to last chapter of the Bible. We have the very first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, where there is absolute perfection in creation. It is before the fall, which which is recorded in Genesis chapter 3. You get back to the start of, um, or so you go forward to the start of Revelation chapter 21. And as I see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, and you have this beautiful picture of perfection restored. And part of the picture of perfection restored we see in verse 23. So Revelation 21 from verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. Why? Because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb who's the lamb king jesus the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it there's no need for the sun or the moon to shine on this city why who can tell me yeah because the glory of god will illuminate it and the lamb is its lamp i don't know how that works in the greek or in the aramaic but it works so nice in english doesn't it the lamb is the lamp he is the light Jesus is the light of the world, which makes it absolutely remarkable that Jesus, when he's speaking to this higgledy-pickledy group of people who have just decided to follow Jesus, possibly that day, he looks at them and Jesus declares, you are the light of the world. I don't know where you're at and whether you feel like you've earned that particular title, But I want to suggest you haven't earned that title. 
They certainly hadn't earned that title. We can never earn that title. It is something that Jesus has proclaimed over us. And it is not something that's aspirational. You will be the light of the world when you learn to get it together. You are the light of the world. What did he say before that? Before he said, you're the light of the world, what was the other part in Matthew chapter 5? Different translation on the screen, but you still get a good clue. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Jesus proclaims that on day one. If you recall from a little while back, we were looking at the Beatitudes, so the very start of chapter 5. And so you've got this group that are following Jesus. There's a big group. He's done a whole bunch of miracles. They're following him from all over the place. And then he goes up on a mountainside. He sits down and his disciples come to him. And it wasn't the 12 that we have listed because that's later on in Matthew. There's only four of those 12 that are named prior to this point. And it's just this massive crowd that are following him. And you'd assume that some of those not all of them, but some of those are the ones that have followed him. They're his disciples because they're following him. And they listen to what Jesus is saying. And he declares that they already in that moment were the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If you do have your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to this particular passage. I've got the message paraphrase up on the screen. And we'll just keep it there um, during this time. I think it's helpful uh, for us to use paraphrases like the message and the Passion Translation. I think they do help in our understanding. Um, but I think let's first and foremost go um, for things like the Christian Standard Bible or the New International Version um, or the ESV, any of those sort of ones. Um, but let's have the other ones as an accompaniment. And I think we do get some good stuff uh, from the message and the Passion Translation. Um, we're going to yeah, have a look from verse 13. So Jesus is speaking and he tells them, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? Most other translations say, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. There is no hope in this statement at all if you lose your saltiness. It could have stopped way before that. It could have said, if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything. But then he adds, actually one thing it could be good for is to be thrown out and stomped on by people really hammering home that there is no value for salt if it's not salty. If it doesn't have its flavor, there is no value for that salt. That's pretty intense. So we are told that we are salt. We have a purpose as salt. And if we're not filling that purpose, then we are not good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Whoa. Three key purposes for salt. One, absolutely. And in that time where there was not refrigeration as we know it today, meat was preserved. Many foods were preserved with salt. Salt preserves. We are created to 
be a preservation agent in our culture. We are, according to this, to bring out the God flavors of this earth. There should be people who are, whether they say it or not, feel a sense of peace around us. It's not that we always tell them what they want to hear, but there should be a sense where people are able to be more themselves around us, genuinely themselves. We should be having an influence on others that is positive for them and for uh, the, the general culture. We should be a preservation agent. It's an interesting thought. What's another big use of salt? Sorry? Taste. So, as this says, bring out the God flavors. So, salt's a really interesting one. It doesn't actually add to the flavor, but you think it does. Like, it removes some of the bitterness and makes us more able to experience the flavor that's already there in the food. And if you think about it from a light perspective, light is not changing the substance of what's there. It just means you're able to see it. And in a similar way with salt, it's not changing what's there. It just means that we can actually taste it. So as a preservation agent in our society, where you could look at it as the not being so bad, but also the tasting where it is actually good and the goodness is highlighted because there is a sense where people feel perhaps more peaceful around us, more true to themselves, perhaps safer around us. Um, but also, God at work in their life is more obvious. How good that God doesn't rely on us in order to work in someone's life, but how good that he does include us in working in other people's lives. And how often will, if we're prompted to talk to someone, God already be doing something. Maybe they can't put their finger on it, but us talking with them draws that out and makes it clear. It's a preserver. It's a taste enhancer. And it's a slug killer. I want to focus on that. No, I'm joking. It's not actually done that, put salt on a slug. It is a gruesome, gruesome thing. Absolutely disgraceful. We could, we could go down that path and have you got any slugs in your life and, you know, we're going to salt them. That's what we're going to do. Just salt them right up. Sort them right out. Those slugs don't stand a chance. When, um, when I was 19, my dad started managing a vineyard that's right between McLaren Vale, Ordinga and Wollonga. And very early on, he started employing my friends and he employed myself as well. And it was a lot of fun. Got to work with my mates. I remember one moment where my friend uh, Justin got in my ear a little bit. He was having a bit of fun. We were um, thinning out the, the crop. So we had too much fruit. And so we're just dropping bunches of grapes to the ground um, so that the grapes that were left over would have more flavor, that sort of thing. Um, so it was wasting fruit. And um, Justin says to me, oh, did you hear that? And I was like, what? Andrew just said so-and-so. I was like, Andrew said what? And grabbed the bunch of fruit that was in my hand and just pegged it at Andrew. And it, oh, like it was before my shoulder surgery, like must have been, I don't know, 80. No, it wasn't. It was a decent throw away. And I've just absolutely nailed him with it 
over a couple of rows of vines and he's watching the whole time, trying to dodge it and ducks right into it, cops it right on the hat and that was just a beautiful moment. Beautiful, beautiful moment. There's no relevance, relevance to that story, I just wanted to tell it. And it was a lot of fun. We had a heap of fun together. But it was, so it was basically my Christian mates and myself working for my dad. But then there was this one guy who was a next-door neighbour to that property, uh, also a young adult, uh, but he wasn't from a Christian background and wasn't a Christian. And I remember this same guy, uh, Justin, that I got in my ear that day, um, telling me on one occasion, he's like, have you ever talked to, um, to Jason about faith? Like, he's really quite interested in Christianity, and when I've talked to him, he's been really open to it, had questions, and it's been great. And it was just this absolute blind spot for me. I had not considered sharing my faith with him. I look back on it now, and what an opportunity. There's this group of Christian young adults, and there's one young adult who's not a part of the community, is not in the faith. Of course, just invite him in. You know, you want to come to this event, that event, want to hang out with us. I hadn't done anything until Justin mentioned it. Um, and then, so I did. I started chatting and I started uh, inviting him along to things. And uh, we had a season there where we'd meet up and he'd teach me the guitar and I'd teach him the Bible. Um, hopefully what I taught him was more effective than what he taught me. Um, but it was a really rich time. And I got to be involved in, in baptizing him. Um, about two or three months after that. Um, and, and how beautiful to see him come into God's kingdom. But it just hits me of how easy it is to have blind spots and have areas that we don't even consider how we are going to be salt and how we are going to be light in that particular environment. Let's continue to read. So we've read the first Verse, verse 13, um, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. How many people does it take to make a city? That's what I said on Friday night. So I, th- I think it's 10,000 here officially in Australia, but normally it's more like 25 to be really seriously considered as a city, but 10,000 officially, like the lists and stuff online had it from 10,000 people. Um, So that's a fair few people. It's definitely more than one though, isn't it? To make a city, you're talking about a lot of people. And here is Jesus who's standing in front, or sorry, sitting in front of a vast number of people and he is saying, you. That word, you, as we, or some Aussies like to say, use, use are the light of the world would perhaps be more helpful in this context. Yous are the salt of the earth. We together are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I don't know why they would try, but there might be instances where you want to try to be hidden, but you can't hide a city. We are designed to be the kind of people who cannot be ignored who cannot be hidden. Our influence should be so much bigger than what it currently is. I mean that as the church more broadly, but I also mean that for us as Outpost Church. 
What we are declared to be is something that we get to live out. And I think we can do a lot more of it. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Why do we do our good works? According to that passage. So that others will see our good deeds and they will give glory to our Father in heaven. The prompt is our good works. We do things for the benefit of others so that they will see those not so they think we're amazing, but so they will give glory to our Father in heaven and become like us. We are designed to actually replicate and reproduce. So we are becoming more like Jesus so others see him more clearly and they in turn become like Jesus as well. I had um, a guy, Lewis, who some of you know, five or six years ago, was getting really excited about his faith. And there were some pretty cool things that were happening in his life and, and around him. And there was a phrase that he used a number of times that I think is really helpful in this sort of context. Some of the things were a little bit weird. And so one of the things that was a bit weird um, was someone was interpreting um, or prophesying over someone based on their tattoos. And so they'd go up um, and then based on someone's tattoos would say, I've got a prophetic word for you based on this. And Lewis's response to that was, I didn't know we could do that. <laughs> there was this excitement, there was this sense of invitation for him of like, oh, there's more to the Christian life than what I currently know. I didn't realize we could do that. And that's a little bit of an edgy thing. But there are so many things that we are unaware of. I was unaware of that time of my opportunity to witness to my friend Jason. And all it took was the awareness of that and then stepping into that that saw him come into the kingdom. How often are we just unaware of stuff? Like, for me, when it comes to sharing my faith, if I sit next to someone on a plane, there's a very good chance that I will at least ask them the question, of what's your experience of the Christian faith, Christian stuff, church, whatever. Like, over the last 15 years, certainly more people that I've sat next to than those that I... More people have heard about my Christian faith than those that haven't when I've sat next to them on the plane. It's pretty rare for me not to start a conversation. If I start a conversation, it'll lead to that. Not so much in the last year, interestingly... Enough. That one sort of slowed down a little bit. Um, but it's just an area of my life that I'm aware of. Um, and similarly, if I sit next to someone, you know, watching kids sport, um, there's just this awareness for me of like, firstly, I want to strike up a conversation. So I'll find whatever excuse just to say hi to them, how are you going, you know, which one's yours, that sort of stuff. Start a conversation, look to bring it around to the things of faith. Um, there was a, a moment probably three years ago now, where I realized I was doing that fairly well, but when it came to actually sharing the gospel, it wasn't happening very often. Um, and so that became a prayer point and a thing to push into. But all I'm bringing up is that for each of us, there's, there's certain areas where it's easier or more natural for us to be salt 
and light. But there's areas where it's not. There's blind spots and there's things that stop us from living out the reality of who he says we are. It's a really important foundational thing in the Christian faith that we are told who we are before we're told what we need to do about it. So it's happening here again. Jesus says, blessed, 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 blessed at the start of the Sermon on the Mount. You are salt, you are light. And then he's going to get into what the Christian life looks like and spell out the details. But he starts off with identity. And we see that consistently with Paul as well. Our identity is nailed before our to-do list. We need to know who we are because we're not doing those things to become something. We are something and we want to fulfill who we are. It is an exhausting thing if you're trying to be salt and you're trying to be light in every context. But if you know that you're salt, you know that you're light, it is the overflow and the natural next step in your life. Of course you're going to live that out. I had a wonderful experience with my kids of being salt and light for them um, about three years ago. And I bring this one up because I haven't done it since. And I don't know why I haven't done it since. But I started paraphrasing the book of Acts for them. So when we're in the car, I would just, you know, I started with chapter one um, and just went through the basic details of chapter one, just telling it as a story as we're driving in the car. And the kids really got into it. They really enjoyed it. And they would ask me, can we hear more of Acts? And it is a phenomenal story. Like, that's part of our heritage as believers. Like, that's our history. Those that have gone before us and the incredible miracles, the incredible faithfulness, the incredible sense of community that we read about in Acts. And I'm like, why have I not done that since? Even just to do the same thing again. It's been a couple of years. I'm sure they're a bit rusty on some of the details of what happened in Acts. I can tell them again. Or I can tell them another, um, I can tell them other Gospels. Um, and la- on uh, a Friday night, um, I spoke at, at Excess Youth, and Esther and Charlotte afterwards were saying, I'd heard this story, I told probably too many stories on Friday night, I told a lot of stories, and they're like, I'd only heard one of those stories. I probably told six or seven stories. And so I haven't been sharing testimonies in the way that I could have with my kids and being salt and light in that way. It's just been a blind spot. It's been something that I haven't done that I've had the opportunity to do. Another one, um, just the reality. So in terms of being salt and being light, I read this thing a year or two ago. um, And it was a pastor from, from Canada Um, who wrote a book called Do More Better. Sounds like a real brick brick in the backpack of your life, doesn't it? Do More Better. Uh, But it's actually a really encouraging book. Um, And one of the things that he talks about doing um, is to serve and surprise the people in your life. So be consistent in serving them in the ways that they need. And then each week, just pick a way to delight them and surprise them with something that they enjoy. What a beautiful rhythm. What a beautiful way to be salt and light within your home, within your workplace, you know, within friendship groups. 
such a simple thing. And that's something I've been aware of for a couple of years. And at times I've gone, oh, yes, do that, plan to do it. But so much of the time I've, I've failed in that. And, yeah, I want to be better at uh, stirring up the faith of my kids um, through things like sharing testimonies, serving and surprising them. The, the surprising bit often just doesn't happen. So I'm planning in other areas, but not planning in areas that can matter the most, like with my family, as much as I should. Um, yeah, so I want to encourage you with that, or challenge you with that question, like what stops you from being the salt and the light that you actually are? There are other things than just not being aware of it. Fear can definitely stop us. It's a huge one. Just not having that time. We, we spoke a, a few weeks ago about breathing in and breathing out the kingdom. And having time to breathe it in is so important. To be reminded that you are salt. Being reminded that you are light. If you spend a chunk of time with the Lord in the morning, it does not make you holier. He already declares you are holy. Doesn't make you saltier. That word can get confusing, can't it, when you use it like that? It doesn't make you more salt. Doesn't make you more light. It just means you're a whole lot more likely to live like it. We need to be reminded who we are because we are a forgetful people. We need to remind ourselves, we need to remind each other. We've got um, these discipleship groups that are starting next week. And I want to encourage you, like, thank you for being here, firstly. Thank you for prioritizing this and being a part of the Sunday gathering. It's a really important thing. And you being here matters. It matters for you and it matters for others. We all know what it's like. Uh, I remember being a part of a, um, a prayer meeting at a previous church. And big church, small prayer meeting. And rock up, and the first topic of conversation, definitely unofficial, not on the agenda each week, but definitely the first topic of conversation was how few people were there. It was always discussed. It's like, I guess it's just us again. <laughs> and all sorts of encouraging things like that were, were uttered. Um, but it can be a discouraging thing when you feel like you're going it alone. It can be a discouraging thing when others are, are not rocking up. Um, and the lack of connection that you can feel because you only get a chance to see someone once every two months, six weeks, whatever, is really hard. So I just want to say well done for prioritizing this and being here and pushing into community and being here to encourage others. So, so important. I want to encourage you to be really intentional around your discipleship. If there is one thing that I think is the most important thing for us as a church, it's our personal shared discipleship. It is fantastic for us to be running things and, and offering things and I want us to do it. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that it is owned by each one of us. And so when it comes to community discipleship, so it could be meeting up with someone to pray, to read the scriptures, to do both, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. 
But let's do that regularly and let's own it for ourselves. So it might mean that you come along to the morning or the evening on the Thursday and a part of that discipleship group. But it might be that you choose your own adventure. It might be that you have three or four different people and you alternate each week who you're catching up with. It might be that you're a part of one group and there's three of you and you're organizing yourself to initiated. It's just, it's so easy for this to become from the intentionality of being reminded that you assault to stay as an intention and something that you plan to do, but it didn't actually happen. And when others are involved, usually that accountability helps us to be more consistent and it sure encourages the other person or other people that are involved. Over the last little while, Jamie and myself and Tyson, who's the chaplain here, have been meeting up to, to pray um, on the Wednesday morning at the school. And that's been such an encouraging thing to be able to do together. Um, and just to stand there, uh, looking out over the school and just speaking life over that place. There's some tough stuff that's gone on. I mean, I think all of you are aware of Bernice, who died uh, fairly recently at the school. But just, yeah, for, for us to intercede on the on the behalf of the school, but to do that together is a really powerful thing. Um, and I challenge you, be consistent in getting around others. It doesn't have to be an outpost thing, but it's so important for each of us that we are doing that. And then when we do get to come together, how much more do we bring? How much more do we receive from one another? That was such a good time before of listening to those testimonies. People sharing what God is doing and insights and revelation. It's very, very encouraging. One time for me um, where the, the fear component was pretty big um, was with my grandpa. And I may have shared this story here before. Some of you are aware of this one. But um, yeah, so my dad's dad was lived here in, in McLaren Vale. Um, and he was um, 82 when he had a massive stroke. And he had a series of smaller strokes. And I remember getting a phone call from my mum to say he's in a really bad way. We don't know if he's going to get through this weekend or not. Um, and he did get through that weekend. And I went and saw him in hospital on the, on the Tuesday. But this beautiful moment happened where, like, my grandpa wasn't a Christian. And I was on my way to the hospital I was at the Sturt campus of Flinders, um, and he was in at Flinders um, Hospital. And, um, yeah, so I was going to walk across there and then drive to footy training. And I stepped out of a tutorial at uni, um, and it was on my mind of, like, I've never shared my faith with my grandpa. I've heard from others that you don't go there. It's a no-go zone with grandpa, but I'd honestly never tried. It was something I'd never attempted. Um, And I step out of my tutorial at uni, and there's these two friends that I had never seen on my campus before, um, but both Christians. Um, and so I said, would you pray with me? And it turned out that one of those was going to see um, her grandpa that weekend um, and were able to pray for each other. Um, and it was just such an encouraging time to be able to pray together intentionally for what was about to come. Um, and I ended up chatting with my grandpa and um, it was yeah, a, a remarkable time with him. Um, I, yeah, found myself um, running out of time and I said, oh, Grandpa, I need to go to, to footy training. Can I pray with you? 
and his words were, do what you've got to do. And I think he might have thought I was going to go somewhere else and pray for him, but I took him by the, well, I um, held on to his, his arm and I started to pray for him. Uh, and then when I finished the prayer, it's the, the first time I could ever remember my grandpa locking eyes with me. He wasn't a big eye contact person, uh, but he just locked on. Um, and I said, Grandpa, I love you, and Jesus loves you, and as you know, I'm a Christian. Um, and then this was the bit where I definitely went off script, and I said, um, I believe in heaven and I believe in hell, and from my understanding, you're not going to heaven. I've got to go, bye. <laughs> Basically ran to the lift, got in the lift, and just went, I just told my grandpa he's going to hell. And freaked out about it. Um, and then, yeah, as it played out, we had this, this most, um, probably one of the most amazing worship times I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, happened in my family home when my dad got home, called my sister, my mum and I together uh, and told us that his dad had made his peace with God. He'd come to faith in Jesus. And that was three and a half weeks before my grandpa passed. So it was maybe two months um, after the conversation I had with him, I was able to read the scriptures with my grandpa. I was able to pray with him. Um, I had this beautiful moment. Um, it was the last time I saw him. Uh, a beautiful moment where I said, pick a number between 1 and 150. And he said, oh, 150, I suppose. And I read to him Psalm 150. And every second line is praise the Lord. And it gives a whole bunch of different instruments that we should praise the Lord with. It's like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And my auntie, uh, who was going quite strong herself in her faith at that time, uh, was sitting there as well. And she's like, we know what it is to praise the Lord, don't we, Dad? Um, and then she relayed the story of what had happened earlier that day. Uh, Grandpa was in a whole heap of pain. And uh, he went from just crying out, help me, um, to saying, help me, Jesus, when he came to faith. Help me, Jesus. And then she said, you know, you know, Dad, that you don't just ask Jesus for things, but you praise him as well. And um, a little bit later, she was out talking to one of the nursing staff, um, and she heard from within the room, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! And she's just like, Dad? Like, what is that? 82 years of not wanting a bar of Christianity. And then he got to know Jesus, and he was physically different. People talk about seeing someone after a stroke and the physical difference in their face. I saw him after the stroke, but I saw him after he had come to faith. And the difference between... I actually spent a lot of time with my grandpa um, before his stroke, but the difference in his face after becoming a Christian was greater than the difference in him after having a stroke. Like He was physically different. He had made his peace with God, but he had also made his peace with a whole bunch of other people. He had forgiven. This is a man that had 12 kids. He was an alcoholic. Uh, he would smoke like crazy. He had had a hard, hard life. And he was able to um, just forgive a whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of stuff. And that freedom was, was remarkable. And I never followed up with him and said, about that time in hospital when I told you you were going to hell, Grandpa? <laughs> How did that sit with you? Um, I never found out. I never asked him about it. And I don't know whether it was helpful or not. But I'm glad that I prayed with him. 
I'm glad that I told him I loved him. I'm glad I told him that Jesus loved him. Um, when he actually came to faith, it was someone that had gone in. Um, I don't know if it was recorded music or if someone was playing music, but he loved it. Someone would, would preach um, and someone would, and there was some music as well, and it was him on his own during one of those worship services in the nursing home where he gave his life to Jesus. Um, and so praise God for those people that faithfully went in and served in that way. Um, I'm going to pray, and I want to give a chance. Um, there's another slide, which I'll, maybe Scott, if you can just go to the next slide. Just a couple of questions on there that I'll get you to, to consider. Um, it'd be great to pray for one another as we head out for, for some dinner. So Father, thank you that you have declared through your son that we are salt and that we are light. Thank you that this incredible truth that is true about you, that, uh, that you are light. In you there is no darkness at all. Thank you that you proclaim that over us, that we are light. Like we are created in order to bring out the God colors of this world. We are created so that people would actually be at their best. We are created to influence and change environments. We are created that this world would be preserved and this world would be better and more people would come into your family. And I pray that we would grab a hold of the reality of you in us. We would grab a hold of the reality of who you've called us to be, never forgetting that it's you that has proclaimed it and it's you that makes it true so that we will sit with you so that we can believe it and we can put it into practice. Bless us now as we discuss these things, as we pray for one another. Bless the food that we're about to eat. Bless the hands that have prepared it. I pray that this would be a rich time of fellowship. I pray that you'd get the glory and that we would be better prepared to be salt and light in every context that we go into over this coming week. In Jesus' name. And all the people said, Hallelujah and amen. I think it is good, looking at that first question, in what ways are you living like salt and light already? It's good to call it out. Like what's natural for you in terms of living in a way that does bring glory to God? And what stops you from living it out more? What are the things that are a hindrance? There's a couple of different suggestions up there, but be specific with this sort of stuff. Like, Thank you for sharing your testimony before, Rachel. Like, really, really helpful stuff. We need to be real and authentic with each other where we mess it up, um, where we, yeah, the, the more free we are to share how things actually are, uh, the better off we are and the better off others are. Not trying to pretend that we're something that we're not, but let's be real with one another. Um, and definitely meeting with a counsellor, something that I have done, um, and I have benefited from, but let's also be that for each other. Be there and to listen. Uh, the stuff that um, Jill's been sitting with, um, yeah, the, the listening to one another, how important that is to, to grow in that area. Um, and who is God putting on your heart who needs more salt or light? And let's pray for each other and pray for those people that God is stirring us up to, uh, to reach out to. Um, so... Any time from now, you are free to head out 
and we'll get into dinner. Um, but do encourage you to just take a moment to chat together uh, about these things and encourage one another. God bless you guys.